listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're in a series called Chosen Sojourners. We're working through the book of 1 Peter. And we've been looking at the three themes that Peter just hits, keeps hitting again and again and again. First of all, our living hope is Jesus Christ. No one else. That's it. Jesus Christ. At the same time, there's present suffering right now, but future glory is awaiting you if you know your risen Savior. So we have a lot coming up in this passage this morning. Let me, let me just tell you right up front. We're going to be talking about submission. We're going to be talking about slavery. And we're going to be talking about the government today. Thank you, First Peter, for the passage that we picked on Mother's Day. That's how we do it here at Doxa Church. Um, so instead of diving right into all of that, I want to back up a little bit, let you know how we got there. All right. So for the last two weeks, really, we've been focused on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And in verse 9, we see that we are God's people. We are not a people that we used to be wandering to and fro, just finding our identity in, in whatever feels good. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. And we are actually a people, a being, a, a people of his own possession. That's amazing. In the most loving way possible, Peter is really drawing a line in the sand. And there's this sharp edge of truth that is penetrating the heart that says, you're a new person in Jesus Christ. You are actually this, this new person who has a new passion. You have a new reason to live. And in your life, is not all about you anymore. You're a person of his own possession. And just like the words of John the Baptist when he spoke of Jesus Christ, where he said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the same heart cry we have to have. So we left off last week in chapter 2, verse 12. If you want to take a look at that, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now the point of this exhortation was that we as Christians should live in such a way that by our unwavering consistency with love and grace, our life should be marked by love and grace, we don't give people who don't know Jesus Christ ammunition to criticize our faith. We're to live a life that is above reproach. We live a life that doesn't have have any shame at all because we are new we are a person of his own possession there's not too many things worse in life than a person who runs a business whether that be you know a car repair garage or a dance studio whatever that is they run a business and they say they love jesus and they at the same time treat people like trash isn't that awful just, just so ugly when that happens. But Peter here is saying that it's essential that you live your life in such a way that your testimony becomes believable. 
that the transforming power of Jesus Christ is made evident not only by what you say, but who you are and what you do. So how you live as a Christian is the greatest apologetic for the evidence of the transforming power of the gospel. There's really no greater way for people to see a change in you and and, and to to be aware of the need that they need to change than to see, whoa, that person has something that they didn't used to have. That person has been changed. They have Jesus now. It has changed their entire outlook, their attitude, their tone. Everything about them is different and refreshing. They they once were bitter. Now they're grace-giving. They once were driven by fear. Now they're driven by love. When people see that through your actions, it opens up the door for you to share the gospel. That, that gives you the platform now to open your mouth, not just be a faithful presence like we talked about last week, but to also proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The bottom line is that the way you live will determine whether you point someone to our loving Savior Jesus Christ or whether you fuel the fires of criticism and turn people away from Jesus Christ. We've all seen that. And it's, it's really sad when an influential Christian gets caught you know, it smears the name of Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't stop God's glory from still resounding. God is bigger than all of that. We don't have to protect God because when people fall, it hurts and it's awful, but God is still God. But also at the same time, I've seen people completely turned off to Christ from hypocrites. Or let's get really personal on Mother's Day here. You know, moms and dads in the room. When, when you as a parent live an inconsistent life and you put the Jesus smile on on Sunday and the rest of the week you're harsh and and demanding and authoritative to your kids, you're not showing them and teaching them the love of God, that doesn't go very well in the home either. Your life has to match the message. So what we're focusing on today from the text is the balance between living with the passion and focus of eternity. That's where we've come from in this text. We're citizens of heaven now. You're a resident alien in this world. But, you know, you're a kingdom of heaven. And at the same time, you need to be a productive, beneficial member of the present state that you're in. So I'm calling this message, Juggling Dual Citizenship. Juggling Dual Citizenship. We're, uh, we are in the physical world, you know, but we have to stay in tune to the spiritual and we don't live for the present. We are, be, we are to be at the same time disentangled from the world system that drives the spirit of Antichrist. And there's spiritual warfare going on. We have to be aware of all of that. You have to be awake and against the system in one sense. And I'm not talking about being woke here because in the world sense of the term, they have everything backwards and upside down. We're talking about being awake with the eyes open to spiritual reality, that we live in a world that is cursed by sin, and that our enemy, Satan, is, is, is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So if you have repented of your sin and turned to Jesus, you are a chosen sojourner. You're an exile, and you've been rescued out of this world system, and now the same things that used to drive people mad and corrupt God's original design, 
Those things you see are not fitting, and the world is not your home. In actuality, you're homesick for a home that you've never quite been to yet. You've had a taste of it. You're made to be at home with God, and that starts when, you're, when you have a relationship with Him. But this world doesn't hold your forever home. So again, what are we to do with all this? We're here for a little while, verse 9, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness. And this is where it gets complicated. Because we are human, we can easily tend to get carried away with one extreme or the other. There's a potential problem inherent in all of this that you can have the best intentions and you can still get off track. And if we get too carried away with our sojourner, our alien identity in this world, we can become isolated and sometimes we can just become indifferent to the world around us and to our neighbors that are lost. So we don't want that. And in the text this morning, it touches on that balance. Our alienation from the system has to be, has to be balanced by the demand of proper citizenship. So that's where all this government stuff is going to come in. And think of it like this. When you're an adult in the real world, you don't just get to hang out all day doing whatever you want to do, watching whatever you want to watch on TV, work out, you know, go play, you know, play hard, go to sleep, rinse and repeat day in, day out. No, adults can't do that, right? They have responsibilities. You have to go to work as well. Well, also, as a, as a citizen in this present life, we're not quite there in our new home yet, our, the new earth. We're still living in the present. We're still in the shadowlands. So we also have responsibilities down here to take seriously. We're not here just to bunker down and hang out with other, all Christ, other Christians all day, every day. That doesn't work. And, and some people you know, will say it this way. You are in the world, but not of the world. And I, I get where they're coming from on that. I totally do. But I think the way to say that that actually fits the Bible's message a little bit more clearly is you're not of the world, you're sent into the world. That helps balance that whole dichotomy of like, I'm, I'm not a citizen of this world, I'm a citizen of heaven, but I'm still here on mission, right? You're not of, but sent into. So if you boil it all down, here's the message. This is exactly where we are going this morning. Being against the system while not alienating yourself from the system. This is talking about juggling the dual citizenship. So are you ready to finish the rest of 1 Peter chapter 2 with me? We have a lot to cover, so let's do this. The first way you, you operate in that system while at the same time not alienating yourself from the system is number one, submit with honor. So let's look at verse 13. 14 and 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And I'm going to stop right there on our first point. So there's that big word. The word submit, the word that is, I have to say, filled with some baggage. Primarily because apart from Christ, we have a sin nature that doesn't want to submit to anyone. 
right? If you don't know Jesus, it's, it's not a fun thing or an easy thing to just say, yeah, I submit. Secondly, we also live in a world um, where submission has been distorted. And thank goodness we don't actually have chapter 3 this, this Mother's Day, where we talk about wives submitting to your own husbands. Uh, this is going to carry right into that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. But, but submission in the home is something that has been abused by authoritarians to, to, to selfishly feed their desires. And when you have a word that has been hijacked and misused and abused, it creates a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I understand that. But the biblical word submission is a beautiful word. It's never a negative word. And we have to actually talk about that. So here's one, here's one point I just want to say as well. You can't abandon a subject of Scripture simply because it's been twisted and abused by others. People will mess things up, right? That doesn't mean we have to ignore it and, and, and excuse it away and let the world's abuse of that define the actual word. We can't do that. We have to get rid of the extremes and we have to get in line with the truth of the Bible. And in the Bible, submission is always about honoring God. Because submission honors God. The correct way to look at this word, when you get to the core of the real, real word, is submission is duty to God. And, and the original word is actually a military term. It's to place yourself in order. It's to operate in the chain of command. So a lot of translations will say it this way, submit yourself. And that's not in every English translation. But the yourself part, is always inherent whenever you see this word. And I actually like it when the translations say, submit yourself, or, okay, you need to be thinking. This is something I do. I submit myself. It's, it's something you willingly do. Otherwise, it's not submission. Submission is not something that you force on someone else. That's subjugation, and it's the exact opposite of submission. Submission is also not the same as obedience. And last summer, I was preaching a series called Church on Fire, and we spent a lot of time on Romans 12 and Romans 13. And actually, on July 4th, I preached a sermon called Biblical Government 101. And it was very clear in that passage, government is established by God for two reasons, the punishment of evil and the protection of good, which not surprisingly are the exact same two reasons that Peter slides in here in verse 14. I hope you see that. Punish those who do evil and protect those who do good. Now, that's not quite our government, is it? It's, it's ballooned a little past that. Uh, and it, it was the same way in ancient Rome, to be honest. Rarely is human government run the way God intended it. Just give it a little time and, and humans are going to bring corruption and an agenda into that. So we're never going to have a, have a perfect ideal government the way God wants it to be until Jesus Christ rules and reigns. But it's very clear in that passage, it's very clear in this passage, government is established by God for the punishment of evil and the protection of good. And our responsibility is to subject yourself to the government and do good in the society that you are in. It's, it's the same in Romans 13. It's almost word for word the same right here. And I made the point then that bears repeating now. 
Submission is different than obedience. Obedience is something that children do to their parents, right? They, they, they obey their parents. Obedience is also something that we owe to God. Submission is not the same. It's something that happens between equals. Jesus Christ submits to the Father. The wife submits to the husband. The human citizen submits to the human institutions. So submit yourself. This is not a coerced thing. This is not a top-down thing. This is something that is a bottom-up. Like, I am ready to do this. I want to fit into place. I want to find my role. Submission is what respectful people offer in recognition that God has established authority. And God has created roles for the society to flourish. And yeah, it's a military term about just following your role. It's not coming from the leader. It's not a, hey, you get in line and submit to me. Not at all. It's a person who trusts the chain of command, knowing that even if the person isn't everything I want them to be, they are human and we are equal, but I know God has placed this person here and I'm going to look up even past them to the chain of command to God. And that's who, what God has established. Now, of course, this isn't the way a lot of government officials view themselves or look at you. You know, that, that's actually a different issue, though. We're not going to talk about that today. We're, we're going to talk. We're not going to worry about them. We're going to talk about you. Well, we're down here on this earth. We are told very clearly by Peter to submit to every human institution. And you're going to have to show grace and look past that human who's in a higher position of authority than you because this is the way God wants it to function. And how do I know that's the way Peter is saying this? Look at the very next phrase. How do we know all this is true? The very next phrase says, for the Lord's sake. We submit to human authority that has been placed there by God, that's police, court system, elected officials, every human institution, and there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. We do it not because they're awesome at their job and they're efficient and we just love them. We do it for the Lord's sake. We submit to human authority that has been placed there by God. Because God is trying to get things done in this world through you. And if you were living in rebellion and bucking the system, that's not helping your mission. As much as possible, live peaceably with all men. Submit the best you can so you can fit into the degree that you shine your light on your street. That's the message of all of the Gospels, and it's the message of all the New Testament letters. You should be more concerned about your testimony and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness than you actually care, get this, about your rights or having the government be efficient. And it all boils down to this. If you are in cooperation, you can do more for the glory of God. It's for the Lord's sake. So have you ever done something so you could do something else? Anyone ever been there before? Done something so you could do something else? I mean, I remember when I was single, I remember those days. It's like, sometimes you go through a lot of things. You go to events, you get dressed up. Not because you really care about the event, right? Because you want to meet someone there. So I gotta I got, I got to be ready for that. 
I know a guy who goes to a restaurant as much as possible, not because he likes this restaurant and loves the food, but he just wants to be a regular in that restaurant so all of the waitresses and everybody will know him and so that he can have an, a presence to witness and share the, share the story of his salvation with them. And I think that's awesome. I would say pick a restaurant that you actually like or, or, or like a hobby that you love doing and get to know people that way. Be intentional, just like we talked about last week. But nevertheless, that's a great idea. Be intentional. So juggling your dual citizenship is a lot like that on a, on, a, on a grander, even more severe scale. I pay my taxes, right? I hope you do too. We do that not because every single tax dollar is going to go to an amazing cause. That's not the reason you're doing it. And that's just, this, the IRS is just one example here. But I know I'm, I'm here for a short season and I have a mission. And it's not going to help my mission if I evade the IRS, so I follow along. There are good reasons to pay your taxes too, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm doing something so I can do something else. And verse 15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Can you see how Peter is circling back to his original point in verse 12? Does that sound familiar? Now, this right here begs the question, and this is a very, very crucial question that a lot of well-meaning people miss. David, what if you were being treated unfairly? What if you were dealing with injustice? And what, what if you're rejected or mistreated? What if your government goes full 1984 on you? All right, there's a question. Do you think Peter felt that? Remember, the emperor at the time was Nero. Um, this is not a comfortable time for Peter to be Christian. That's been the whole, the whole theme that we've been seeing in this book. So where's the line? Is there, is there a line there? Are we just supposed to submit no matter what? And I mean, we're going to go through a series of escalating things for a second, all right? I want you to hang with me. What if the government mandates that I wear a mask? What if the government mandates I get an mRNA shot in my arm? What if the government says your church can't gather to worship? What if the government mandates you only have one child? You see where this can go? I'm not saying it always goes there, but what if the government is, is forcing you to do something that is against your will or your convictions? This is where it gets dicey and uncomfortable. Does Peter have anything to say about that in this text? Well, as a matter of fact, he does. And before we go there, I want you not to forget his main point is submit. Follow the system when and where you can. As long as, as long as what? What is the story of Peter in the Gospels and in Acts? Do you remember what Peter did in Acts? When the human institutions were telling him not to talk about the resurrected Jesus Christ, stop proclaiming this message of what Jesus did and how he changed you. Shut up about that. No one wants to hear that. We're beating you and throwing you in jail because you're talking about Jesus rising from the dead. And what was Peter's response? Turn to, turn to Acts chapter 4 with me. I just want you to read this, all right? And I know we're not in our immediate text yet. We're getting there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4, verse 18.
So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Sound familiar to verse 12? Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He kept on talking. They kept on pressuring him. And and as this... This story unfolds and goes along through the book of Acts. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 5? Maybe I've jogged your memory. But in Acts 5, 29, Peter said simply, we must obey God rather than men. If they tell you to do something that is contrary to God, you are in no, under no obligation to submit to them because you have a higher authority. And if that wasn't good enough, Look at what Peter says right here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Back to the immediate context. 1 Peter 2, 16. He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is the boundary line of submission right here. Live as people who are free. And this is our second point this morning. Live freely. You are not a prisoner of submission. You are not locked in a room suffering with submission. And here's why. You're not supposed to live like a slave. You are free in Jesus Christ. You're not to be treated like a slave. You're not to act like a slave. Live as people who are free. Submission is voluntary. Submission is something that you offer up in your heart with the right attitude. There are limits to it. And we all know this practically, right? If, if there's abuse in a marriage, no one in their right mind is going to say, hey, stay in that abusive relationship. No, you call the police. And this same principle is played out here in the context that Peter gives us as well. Let's talk about this, this limit of submission for a minute. How much is too much? How far do I go in letting my ruthless boss mistreat me? Or how far do I go in following an authoritarian government? There's three biblical principles that I want to point out to you in this idea of living freely. And we're going to go through this pretty quickly. But first question you should ask is, can I let love cover a multitude of sin? This is another point Peter's going to bring up in a couple chapters. And we'll preach on that who knows when, when we get there. We'll, we'll preach on this. But there are things that sometimes you would endure for a season in marriage that you would never endure in employment, right? There are things that you would probably endure from a parent, like a a mother or a father, that you probably wouldn't endure if it was somebody in church doing the same thing to you. I, I could give you example after example of this. So you have to consider the severity. You have to consider what's happening. Can I let love cover this? I love this person. I know they're wrong. I can't change them right now. I don't have to force it right now. I'm just going to move forward with love anyway. That's a question that you have to ask. That's something that you need to take to the Lord. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is a very nuanced thing that I can't give you a black and white answer to. You have to follow the Spirit's leading on that. You know, you may say, well, what kind of abuse is this? Uh, is Is it just passive 
neglect, which is abuse? Is it verbal abuse or is it, even, is it going even further than that? Is it physical abuse? All of these things are bad, but you have to take that to the Lord. And, and, and the question is, can love cover that? Next question you need to ask is, have you done everything in your power to resolve the matter? Matthew 18. That passage gives us a biblical pattern of what to do if someone offends you in the church, but it, it's really established before the church in Acts is truly established. And a lot of times we look at that and it's true. Jesus is talking about the church in the sense of the ecclesia, the gathering of people that he's calling out. But that same principle applies to really anything in life. As much as possible, try to live peaceably with all men. So I follow these steps that are laid out. I'm going to go to that person first. I'm going to bring up the problem. If it's offending me, if it's hurting me, I'm going to bring up that problem with them. If they don't hear you, I'm going to bring someone else to the table. Bring a second person. Then the third step is if there's still no repentance, there's no change, you have to bring that before the church for restoration purposes. Third question you need to ask is, are you protecting the vulnerable? Psalm 82. Is it your, is it your well-being at stake or is it someone else? Is it to is it your family that's going to suffer? I mean, again, we, depending on the frequency, is this a one-time thing? Is it, is it rare? Like, there's a lot of things that go into the equation that you have to take to the Lord. But Psalm 82.3 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. So the strong must protect the weak. And we don't submit to authority that is in opposition to God. We protect the innocent from corrupt authority. So the key here, as always, is balance, letting the Holy Spirit lead you. But you need to remember, you're not a slave. You don't have to submit at all times to every single thing. We're not talking about obedience to Christ. Submission is not a license for self-destruction. If it's destroying you and tearing you apart, it's not for the Lord, right? So remember that. The closer to you, that it is, the more severe, the more frequent it is, you know, that's putting you in a position of being a slave. And you are to live as a person who is free. We always want to avoid the extremes. And we don't, as a matter of fact, this passage also points out, use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. But we live as servants of God in the freedom that you have been given by God. And then we have this summary verse, verse 17, that says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Every human being is made in the image of God, and because of that, they deserve to be treated with dignity. We value human life because we are made in His image. Love the brotherhood. This is talking about the family of God. This is the fellow Christians. This is the church. We take it a step further with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The world should know us by our love for one another. And then it says, fear God. Don't fear man. Don't fear what the government can do to you. The fear of God is reverence and it's respect. We're two levels beyond honor now. We're at at this deeper level of love, this fear of God, this holy reverence. That's healthy. We see His holiness. We're aware of His power. We're in awe of it. We're grateful for His mercy and His grace in our lives. And we live in a way that we put our sustainer and our creator first. We hold God higher than anyone else. We reverence him. And then it goes back to the emperor, 
back where we started, honor the emperor. And if you're doing the math there, this is actually the opposite of what Nero and Rome expected. They didn't expect to be put below God. They looked at themselves as God. They wanted you to fear the emperor and honor your gods. And throughout history, when man is in power, their tendency is to crave more and more authority until you get to the point that the authority is the God figure. That's the way it worked in this day, and we're getting to the same place now. Because when God is removed from your culture, the government seizes that vacuum and more of that authority. When God is removed from your culture, you also get people looking for their identity elsewhere, and they end up falling back into wherever their emotions are pointing them. You know, what is my sexual preference, or what is, what is my greatest passion? And people find their identity in that because they have shrunk their worldview down to themselves, and they are missing the real reason that they were created by God, and that is to show the truth of God with their lives, to glorify God. So I hope you can see there how, how wokeism fits into the world spirit of Antichrist. But Peter is going against the grain, very respectfully, but he's going against the grain. He's not a zealot. He's not trying to assassinate the Romans and overthrow the government. But he's also not exactly playing their game either. He's playing a, if you will, a different game that's above and beyond, that's outside of their rules. And that's why every Christian has to juggle their dual citizenship. Play by the rules when you can, but you also at the same time have the master rule book. You know that everyone else is playing a dumbed down version, a shadow version of the real game. So you don't have to be a slave to that. Live as someone who is free. And with Peter, and any society that completely abandons God and, and, and continues to add on to their own human authority of, and of authoritarianism, authoritarianism comes down stronger and stronger and stronger. When that happens, eventually they call him an extremist and they martyr Peter. But Peter says, and this is why, we obey God rather than man. He's fearing God. And he's loving the brotherhood more than his own interests. More than honoring the emperor, he, he fears God. When the king and the state are below God, you are thinking on a higher spiritual level. When you're free and awake, the authoritarians of this world are not going to like that. But this is the way it has to break down. And thankfully, we're not in Rome circa 63 AD right now. We're not there yet. But we still have to prioritize our commitments. Now, verse 18 is where this gets even more confusing. Because Peter has just made the point that you are free in Christ. Submit when and where you can for the Lord. Live as people who are free. And then he starts talking to servants. And I don't want to hide anything from you. I don't want to cover for Scripture you know, I've, I've seen a lot of pastors, as I've, I've been studying this passage, I listen to different people, a lot of people just like skip over this section, unfortunately. Um, but this is not just employees here. He's, he's using the Greek word doulos, which is a servant slave. And a lot of people will attack the Bible and they'll say, look, slavery, it's in Scripture. 
Scripture doesn't come down hard enough on slavery. You may have heard that before. And, and this is exactly one of those passages where that attack is coming from. This and a couple other passages address slaves. And, uh, and let's, just, let's just look at the passage. Verse 18. Let's read it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and Gentile, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. How does this fit in with what we just covered about being free? I'm very glad you asked because this third point is coming right up and that's exactly what we're going to answer. I know I'm not talking to any slaves, thank God, I'm not talking to any slaves in the audience today, but the third way that you juggle dual citizenship and stay against the system while not alienating yourself from the system, number three is suffer graciously. That's what the text says. Now before we go very, very far with this, let's clarify a few things. Peter is addressing slaves. Yes, he is. We're not going to hide that. So let's talk about slavery in the first century church. Foundational to all of this is something that is consistently seen throughout the scripture. And we, want, we need to back up for a minute. Again, this goes back to Romans 13, touched on it there. But you see this in the entirety of scripture, especially the New Testament. Jesus never came to overturn systems. He didn't make that the emphasis of his ministry. What did Jesus do instead? Instead of going to, I mean, there was a lot of corrupt government, right? That Jesus could have overhauled and, 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 and led a revolution against. But Jesus never did that. What did Jesus do instead? He went for the heart. He went for the heart of man every single time. He always went to the heart because his desire is to change the heart and make it new. And he knows that when you do that, when enough hearts are changed, that's when change happens in the system. Jesus was not a political revolutionary. He knew that if you come to change and reform an institution of man, but if the heart isn't in the right place, it's only a matter of time before the system gets polluted and corrupted again. And this is definitely something that we talked about back when we were in Romans 13. It's something that came up again and again in Ephesians when we're going through the Beloved Identity series. The Bible addresses slavery without endorsing slavery. It was a huge part of the life and culture at the time. But God's, God's will in his heart is completely against slavery. And we know that because God is no respecter of persons. He created everyone equal. He loves them all the same. There, there is no difference between your background, your skin color, your socioeconomic class. God loves you the same. You were made in his image. And that is very foundational to Christian faith. This is why Christians have fought against slavery. 
because their hearts were transformed and they were ready to then go in and change the corrupt system. So Jesus didn't come to end the human institution of slavery. He came for the heart. He came to rescue people from the slavery of sin, to give them a new heart. And he knows that's the only thing that will actually overhaul the system. But in this time, you also need to understand that slavery wasn't just one race enslaving another race. It's the way we often think of it because we're Americans and we think of colonial America, right? In this day and age, slavery was vast and broad. It contained different people groups who were conquered by Rome. Some of these people were of the exact same race. It also included people who were, who were more like indentured servants, serving a period of time to pay off a debt. Slaves were literally a quarter of the population. And some slaves were very highly educated. And... I think it's very interesting that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul uses an analogy that the Old Testament law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And, and some translations will take that word, uh, it's the word pedagogue, where we get pedagogy from, but they'll translate it guardian or they'll translate it tutor. But what a pedagogue was, was, was a Greek slave that a rich elite Roman would hire to educate their child. So it was like a really smart person that would personally tutor their own child. That was a pedagogue. And, and Peter is saying the Old Testament law was our pedagogue to bring us to Christ. It was to show us that we are sinners, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can keep the Ten Commandments. No one has. No one ever will. The only one who did was Jesus Christ, the God-man. So the law teaches us that we have failed, we can't save ourselves. And, and, and Paul was just using that analogy. I'll read the passage for you. Verse 23 of, of Galatians 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you were all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So do you see that? Do you see God's heart when it comes to this? Slavery was not purely race-based, and it wasn't usually forever. It, was always, it wasn't always something that you were born into either. It was sometimes something that you could work out of. But just the fact that Peter is addressing slaves here in and of itself shows the love of the brotherhood. We're seeing the heart of God's love that, that we have slaves and we have free in the same exact church. And Peter is talking to them as equals. What an honor here that he is addressing them in this letter directly, showing their worth and their value. They are part of the family. And that's revolutionary. You didn't see that in the world that they were living in. But the church is countercultural. 
And Peter's point is consistent with this entire theme of present suffering. Verse 19, he says, this is a gracious thing. You're going to have to show grace, remember? Remember your God, be mindful of Christ. You're doing this for the Lord. This is that piece of submission again. And he says a second time, this is a gracious thing. So you have to trust God to show you grace. And you have to remember to extend grace to others. How can they forgive like this? When someone is mistreated and they still respond with love, that just shouts with a megaphone that there's something different here. Who is this girl? Who is that guy? I was nasty to them. I mistreated them. I handled that situation so poorly because I have an ax to grind against this person and they're still smiling. They're not revolting. They're not shaking their fist at me. They're actually taking it and I've, I've taken all this from them, but I can't take their joy from them. When you suffer graciously, that is a megaphone that shouts, there's something new about me. And it's something that you don't have, that I need to have. It puts the spotlight on the grace of God in your life. At the same time, all of these principles of submission, when, and when to submit, they're all still in play. If you're getting beat, please escape. Get out of there. This isn't just saying take your lashes and give up. It may slightly sound like that if you're reading it through one time. But if you really break it down, verse 19 says God's grace is going to enable you to handle some sorrow. God's grace is going to sustain you through some injustice. Life is never going to be perfectly fair anyway. And verse 20 is saying to take your beating. Is it saying that? No, it's not saying exactly that. When you slow down and read it closely, it's saying if you do something wrong and you are punished for it, that doesn't do anything good for the kingdom. Do you see that? If you do something wrong and you're punished for it, all right, whatever. You got what you deserved. It's par for the course. But if you are doing good, hey, slaves, if you are doing good, you work hard, you have a good attitude, and they still treat you poorly, well, then you are really highlighting the grace of God in your life, and you're showing the transformation of your hope in Jesus Christ. Abuse is a different story. Get out of there. All those, all those principles of living free still apply, but in a mixed-up, crazy world that is scarred by sin, we have a lot of things to juggle at times, right? And there is a balance that has to come into place. How do you pull all this off? Suffering graciously sounds pretty tough if it's all up to you. The only way you can do this is by looking to your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what this passage points out. Look again at verse 21 with me. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Worship team, you can come up right here. This is the kind of truth that changes your heart. This and only this right here changes your heart. This is so much better than trying to overhaul society and, and, and you know, the structure of your city. This is so much better than bucking the system and sticking it to the man. What's more vital is the transformation of your heart, a heart that is made new in Jesus Christ when we see what he did for us. Look at his love. Look at how he suffered for us. When you see that, you're willing to take some suffering for him. You can live for Jesus and submit when it fits, regardless of the circumstances around you. This is how you juggle dual citizenship. This is how you can be against the system while not alienating yourself from the system. Your testimony pops when they are taking from you, but you don't let anyone take your joy from you. The call to follow a crucified Messiah, a suffering servant, a, a Savior who bled and died for you, that's so much more effective than anything else. That is what allows you to overcome hardships, and that has so much more lasting effect beyond just shaking up the cultural structure. You can get through anything. You can shine bright for Jesus Christ and your Savior when you follow his example. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There is no human on this on this earth, there is no structure or human institution that's ever going to be just 100% of the time. It's all full of humans who make mistakes, right? But we look past that human institution of authority and we still submit to it because we are doing it for the Lord's sake so we can fit into the system and we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. He saved you. He died for you. He healed you. That's powerful. And that has to be your motivation and your heart cry. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.